Welcome to the QB List Fantasy Football Podcast. Today, we will be predicting the news for training camps in the NFC. Uh, we want to get a- out ahead of some of the training camp chatter that you will be hearing, uh, get some actionable advice for dynasty leagues, for redraft leagues, and just let you know what you're going to be seeing here when camps start shortly. I'll be joined by Ryan Heath. Um, as always, to go through this, and uh, later in the week, um, we'll be going through the AFC as well. Uh, Ryan's going to carry the show this time. He's looked into some headlines that you'll be seeing shortly for the NFC, how you can take advantage of that in your leagues, and just some uh, some nice buy-low players that we can get before the camp hype starts uh, shooting them up draft boards. So um, without further ado, Ryan, how have you been? Um, what's new outside of the, the uh, Superflex uh, puppy draft that you've been doing recently? I've been great. Uh, what's new for me? I just moved into my own place for the first time. Very excited about that. Been very busy. Uh, but other than that, I'm super excited to really get into the meat of football season coming up pretty soon here. Uh, as you said, the camp hype is about to start flying around everywhere. And I think this podcast is going to be a good primer to give some context to what it might mean if you start hearing some of these players' names mentioned more and more in the news. Who should you care about if you hear positive things about them? Who is probably not going to matter regardless of what you hear about them in training camp? I think it's a valuable exercise to kind of go through and just refresh everybody's mind, maybe refresh their memories on some things that happened over the offseason. And yeah, we can get right into it. Yep. So we've gone through, we've looked at contracts for every team. We've looked at depth charts, looked at new rookies added in. I I think it's useful for a few reasons here. Um, I found myself missing out on some players the last few years. Uh, Jamar Chase last year when he was kind of having the drops in training camp. Uh, I still drafted him some, but not as much as I would have liked to. Uh, Even the year before, Justin Jefferson, I was big in on Jefferson early. There was some stuff out of camp that, you know, he was running, uh, you know, maybe with the second team. I kind of was down on him a little bit and missed out on that breakout, or at least didn't get as much Jefferson as I was like. So I think it's good to know the news that's going to come most likely in these training camps, just so we don't overreact to them. So uh, yeah, let's get into this, Ryan. Let's look for some players, uh, maybe undervalued, overvalued, some stances we can take. So we're ready when camps start. Um, We're going to do the NFC today. Let's start with the NFC East. And first up are the Philadelphia Eagles. So predict some news coming out of Philadelphia Eagles training camp here in uh, a month or so. Sure. So my prediction for the Eagles is that Kenny Gainwell is going to start shooting up draft boards as soon as he gets on a practice field. Uh, He's a guy that played pretty well last year in spots. He was kind of phased in and out of the lineup as a rookie. Uh, But he's a capable receiver, and it really seems like he can just sort of overtake Boston Scott for the RB2 role in this offense, which, as we will talk about, I think could be a very improved offense this year. So when you start hearing whispers about Kenny Gainwell, right now his underdog ADP is 156.2. Once you start hearing positive news about him, you need to move quickly. uh, I think he's a good buy in Dynasty right now. Uh, Miles Sanders could really continue losing playing time as he has been basically his last three years in the league. So if we're just looking at the career arcs of these two guys, I think Gainwell potentially stands to gain a lot here. 
Yeah, just looking at the depth chart, uh, Miles Sanders is the last year of his contract. So um, it, from a longer term perspective, that's an opening. Uh, Jordan Howard for now is not on the roster. I feel like he's always a threat to uh, rejoin the Eagles or I, I don't know. He seems like he's on and off the team every week, but they do have Boston Scott. Uh, they have a little bit of depth, but not nearly as much, I don't think, as they have in the past. So um, I think Gainwell does open up and it's kind of uh, – goes into how they want to run this team um the addition of aj brown to go with Devonte smith are they going to throw the ball more if they do that benefits uh, kenny gainwell i think because if you remember last year they started the season pretty pass happy and they shifted into a running offense and that's kind of when we saw gainwell lose some snaps lose some of that third down roll uh so it would kind of make sense if this goes to a passing offense that gainwell uh gets some work here and kind of jumps back on the radar for fantasy managers yeah, and I'm sure you've heard, Eric, that Jalen Hurts' arms look a lot bigger in <laughs> that one photo that was floating around the internet than they did last year, apparently. I'm sure I'm sure it had nothing to do with the angle it was taken at or whether he was flexing or holding it against his body. Like, guys, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you're in the mirror, you know exactly how you can make your arm look bigger. Yeah. We, we see you there, Jalen Hurts. But all jokes aside, I do think he's ready to take a step forward as a thrower. And if that's the case, then pretty much every Eagle is being drafted too late, except for A.J. Brown, maybe. He's still pretty solidly up there at the back of the second round. Um, but another receiver kind of a little further down the depth chart I want to call attention to is Quez Watkins. Uh, he almost certainly has the slot locked down. Uh, it seems likely that Brown and Smith are going to be mostly spending their time outside. Watkins was a six round pick a couple years ago. Uh, he had an 11% target share last year. Obviously that is not that much in the Eagles offense, but if that offensive pie grows, then maybe he's suddenly like a fringe kind of relevant player in deeper PPR formats. So I think he's a name to watch. And if you do start hearing good things about him, uh, I'm okay taking flyers, but if I can't imagine his ADP would actually get into really like significant levels but he he's somebody to be aware of yeah so it sounds like uh you know aj brown he's pretty much priced uh, at his uh close to his ceiling already so maybe take some of these cheaper options in philadelphia but uh kenny gainwell could lead the way uh if this turns a new passing offense and uh quez watkins is a nice little depth piece there so yeah look for the transition to a passing offense for philadelphia and how that goes in training camp so all right, next up, Dallas Cowboys. Um, what's your headline here for Dallas Cowboys training camp? The headline really is with the receiver room. What's going to happen until Michael Gallup comes back? It's unlikely that he's going to be fully ready for week one as he continues to rehab. I, I believe it was a torn ACL late in the season last year. Uh and obviously Amari Cooper is gone. So that leaves CeeDee Lamb and not a whole lot else, at least that they had last year. So there's rookie Jalen Talbert, underdog ADP 146. And also James Washington, uh, for the former Pittsburgh Steeler, his underdog ADP is at 205 right now. Both of them kind of profile as field stretchery type of guys. I, I don't know that either of them are going to be putting up consistent production outside of like a best ball league. Uh, but if one of them starts getting positive news in camp, I could definitely see their ADPs increasing. Uh, I, I think that people don't really know which one is going to emerge. And if people start to become more confident in one or the other, then that's a valuable role. It, 
at the very least. So I, I could see either one of them potentially profiting here. Yeah, and this is going to be a theme of these shows is veteran uh, players coming back from pretty serious injury. I I think the public generally thinks they're going to be ready for week one, and history kind of shows us uh, these injuries tend to linger a little longer. Now, Michael Gallup is a little bit different than some of these players that we're going to talk about in that he is still just 26 years old, and I would tend to... Uh, maybe buy into some of the, uh, you know, the quick rehab news from Gallup over some of these other players. But I think it is still a question if he's going to be ready to start week one or back to his full role. We'll see how that goes. So I, I'm right there with you. I think anyone who has a chance behind C.D. Lamb to uh, take a role is worth a flyer. I would probably lean towards the rookie Tolbert that we just don't know as much about as opposed to Washington. But um, I do think if you're in a a deep dynasty league and maybe James Washington's been given up, given up on or something, uh, I think these are the type of players you want to stick on your roster because chances are, if they look good, uh, they're going to earn a role because they are missing Amari Cooper as well. So just a lot of opportunity in Dallas, especially if they maybe uh, trend away from, you know, running Zeke up the middle 20 times a game. So definitely I am watching this Dallas offense as well. Yeah, the last thing I want to add is that Dak Prescott is currently going off the board at QB10. There have already been headlines about how he's likely to run the ball some more this year now that he's an extra year removed from that horrific ankle injury. Uh, And I buy it. And if that's the case, then pass attempts will necessarily be sucked out of this offense. And Dak Prescott is necessarily being underdrafted if he's going to increase his rushing production. So that's another storyline I would sort of keep in my head as we get any news out of the Cowboys training camp. Yeah. And I would also mention their defense was awesome last year, came out of nowhere. Uh, It may not be as repeatable though. Defense tends to fluctuate a little bit more. So uh, we could see a few more of those uh, old fashioned Cowboys shootouts that we're used to. So I I, I'm still in on the Cowboys Uh, CD lamb. That'll be a player we discuss a lot this off season. He's going to get really hyped up, but uh, don't forget about the secondary pieces here in Dallas. So um, next up is the Washington commanders. I struggled to even find a headline for them. I'm not sure what we're looking for here, Ryan. Uh, What do you think about the Washington commanders? Yeah, I don't think there is a whole lot that you can look for. Um, We might want to hear how Jahan Dotson is going to be doing. Um, I am not all that sure that it matters, though, just from a volume perspective. I don't see this team being very pass heavy with Carson Wentz. Uh, And Curtis Samuel is allegedly healthy. We hear this most (laughs) off seasons and suddenly it seems to just fade away by week one. So if he is playing, I don't think Jahan Dotson can make an impact all that quickly. Um, but looking at the backfield, I think this is one of the more interesting situations, at least as far as the commanders go. Uh, Antonio Gibson's ADP is in the sixth round right now on underdog. Now in your fantasy league against your boss and your coworker, Gibson's probably going to go in like the third round if I had to guess, but if you're drafting on underdog, he's pretty affordable right now. And I I might I might get talked into it if we're not hearing rave reviews of rookie Brian Robinson out of camp. What do you think? Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, Brian Robinson, there's some stuff to like with his profile coming out of school, but it's not like we're talking about a Jonathan Taylor prospect here. Um, he didn't even have as much hype as Antonio Gibson did coming out. Uh, I will say it seems pretty clear that Washington, their coaches uh, want more from Gibson and maybe don't think it's coming. They just kind of seem to have soured on him. But um, no, I do think he is going to be 
at a price that is very reasonable. Because, I mean, we remember last year, uh, they were just running the ball every down at one point. And that was even with their defense struggling. I could see their defense rebounding, sticking with that formula because Carson Wentz is not the answer. And yeah, I, there could be a lot of carries here. McKissick coming back is a, a downer on this. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to get that Gibson pass catching role that we hoped for, but um, hey, uh, McKissick could get hurt as well. Um, Brian Robinson could be a dud. There's a few different ways here that I, I think Gibson works out. So I agree with you. Um, Wentz is probably going to hold this back, but he, he might not be as bad as Taylor Heineke. So uh, maybe there is a little bit of a boost here, a little bit of a deep game and Washington scores a few more points this year. I agree. I guess like the, what it really comes down to with Antonio Gibson is once we've seen a player in the NFL for two years, it's not all that likely that they're going to see a dramatic role change going into that third year or later. We usually are targeting so- both sophomore running backs and wide receivers for those large role changes. And I, I'm not sure if I can tell myself the story that Gibson is suddenly going to catch passes anymore. I, I think that's the issue is the ceiling's not there. Yeah. Uh, one thing that is interesting, we'll, we'll get to this with some other teams later, but if you just look at the ADPs, uh, Gibson has dropped. He's uh, RB 23 right now, but I mean, McKissick's RB 55 and Robinson is RB 58. So I know this isn't a good team and people aren't going to be running out there to target this, this offense, but uh, Gibson has dropped and nobody seems really interested in any of the other running backs either. So it, it may be one of those situations where if you really are out on Gibson, then you better start drafting Robinson. Cause I, I do think there are a lot of carries here to go around. So just, just monitor this backfield, see if the coaches fall in love with one of these players and, and react accordingly. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Uh, I think McKissick is my favorite of the bunch. If I'm drafting a best ball team i he's like a really good kind of fourth running back to just anchor your group Mm -hmm. um but yeah i I mean the the thesis on that is that they're falling behind and are checking down the entire second half um which i i think we could see that from carson wentz and company so (laughs) that that yeah that may just be the type of offense they run yeah, and be prepared to hear stories about Wentz and Terry McLaurin's deep ball connection. You know they're coming. Uh, I just I don't know that we're going to want to take any action on that from training camp. I'm I'm going to need to see something first, I think. But I do like McLaurin. I just don't know if the uh, the breakouts coming with Wentz here. So, okay, wrap up the NFC East here. Uh, let's go to the New York Giants. What's your headline for New York Giants training camp? The headline with the Giants is their wide receiver room once again. Uh, you look up and down this depth chart. Uh, Kenny Galladay is the paper tiger that's just sitting at the top of it. Uh, so I asked you before the show, Eric, how many games do you think Kenny Galladay played in uh, last year? And what what was your answer that you gave me? <laughs> uh, six. Yeah. So you said six. And that, that probably would have been my first guess, too. I would have I guessed like seven or eight. He actually played in 14 games last year. And you probably didn't know that either, listener, because he was pretty much irrelevant the entire season after routinely going in like the sixth round of drafts. Uh, I just do. I don't see what the Giants are doing from a roster building perspective. I like some of this young talent they've brought in with their wide receivers. I think Kadarius Tony, if he can stay on the field and the team doesn't trade him, which was a rumor a few months ago. I think he can succeed. Uh, I think Wandale Robinson is extremely interesting. I I would love to see these young receivers get a shot, but we've just got like the corpse of Kenny Galladay and 
the the actual corpse of Sterling Shepard on his Achilles that's like hanging out of his ankle. So I I just you hope that space will clear out in this depth chart. Um, it's not like the Giants can trade Kenny Galladay with how backloaded that contract is. He has over a twenty million dollar cap hit uh, next year, but it's down at like four million this year. Uh, I I just don't know what this situation is going to be. I'm happy to take the cheap shots on Tony and Wandell Robinson, but that that's pretty much it. I I just in camp I want to hear how those two are doing. The uh, I'm on uh, SpotTrack.com. Uh, the roster of receivers for the Giants is uh, very long. Uh, they have a lot of players on this list. Players that you forget are still around, like Darius Slayton. I, I feel like he needs to be freed. Let him go to another team. I don't know if he's good, but he flashed there for a year or two. Like, there's all these guys just log jammed at this position. And I, I, yeah, I agree with you. We kind of need Galladay and Shepard to get out of the way for Tony Wandale Robinson. Who else is gonna? Whoever else is gonna take advantage? But uh, I, I think that's going to be a big thing to watch. I would not count on Sterling Shepard for anything coming off of an Achilles injury. He was already injury prone. Galladay, it, you know, they, they're going to put him out there because of the money, but it sure doesn't look like it's going to turn around. Uh, maybe Dave Bowl gets things going. But, um, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Let's. Uh, I would love it for, to, for it to be Tony. I really liked what I saw from him last year, but uh, there are some off-field red, red flags with him. So um, keep an eye on this receiving core. I, I think it's going to look a lot different by midseason this year than it did uh, start of last year, for example. Absolutely. And then the last thing I want to say about the Giants is just to call everybody's attention at running back. The There are two running backs on the Giants roster that have more than 13 career touches. They are Saquon Barkley and our old friend Matt Breida, who <laughs> is tw- 29, 30 now, uh, and was wash- most recently washed off the back of the Bills depth chart last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh so I would expect the Giants to sign some depth at the position. Uh, looking at the available free agents, I, I think Justin Jackson probably makes the most sense. Uh, he's a player that can be kind of all-purpose, catch the ball, uh, be like a be like 60% of Saquon Barkley, maybe. I, I don't know if that's like insulting <laughs> to Saquon Barkley, but I yeah. Overall, would not be drafting Matt Breida as Saquon's handcuff. I assume someone will be signed. And if Saquon were injured, they will absolutely sign someone else. Matt Breida is not getting handed the keys to this offense. Yeah, he hasn't exactly shown uh, the ability to take a big workload. Uh, You look at the free agent running backs right now. A lot of the ones you know are older, um, up in their 30s. Latavius Murray, Carlos Hyde, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman. They're all free agents. Devontae Booker. Uh, Wayne Gallman's out there. You start getting down to a little bit of the younger options. They used to have Wayne Gallman, though. Uh, Alex Collins, Justin Jackson, Jeremy McNichols. It's not an inspiring group, but I do agree with you. One of these guys is probably going to get added at some point, and that's the time to strike if you're in a, in a dynasty league. Pick up one of those guys because you're right. There's a huge opportunity here, and we've seen – I know it's a different regime, but we've seen some backup running backs uh, for the Giants kind of soak up some volume here. So I, I think I'm with you. Look at this backup situation in New York for sure. Yeah, and if you are gonna, and if you are gonna add a Giants backup, and they do ascend into meaningful playing time, you need to trade them for a second round rookie pick immediately. Right, that is yeah. that is always the move before they before they have preferably before they have touched the ball a sing, a single week as the starter. That's what you need to do. 
Yeah, and it's not to say we can't do that with Breda either. Uh, we may get a couple playable weeks out of Breda, but I would be uh, shocked if, uh, he, yeah, he's the only competition. So uh, I'm on board there. Okay, let's go to the North. Um, the NFC North is uh, pretty interesting this year. Um, let's kick it off with the favored Green Bay Packers. Yeah, so the elephant in the room with the Packers is that Aaron Rodgers is throwing to Alan Lazard and then a bunch of guys that have washed out in different places in the league uh, and also add in a rookie that they overdrafted who didn't really produce until his senior year playing against guys that were 40 pounds smaller than him. So as you can tell, I'm very optimistic on this Packers wide receiver room. Uh, if I have to draft one, it is Alan Lazard. Uh, his ADP on underdog is at 89.4 right now. Christian Watson's down at 114.1. I can understand the allure. He's not a prospect that I prefer from an analytical perspective, but I can see the argument and what the upside is. Uh, and then we've got characters like Sammy Watkins and Amari Rogers, who you might remember from like June last year. I there there were I know that the internet went through like an Amari Rogers week at some point during training camp last year. Uh, and that amounted to nothing and will probably continue amounting to nothing because players that do nothing in their rookie year, like don't get on the field, probably aren't great bets for the rest of their career, uh, as it turns out. Um, I can con I can confirm my dynasty rosters are littered with uh, Amari Rogers on the end of my bench. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he's probably uh, first up to be cut when he does nothing uh, during the training camp this year. Yep, I I do remember an Amari Rogers headline from this year of his wide receiver coach saying he was in the best shape of his life. And that <laughs> that's just like every, I don't, that, that's like every joke you can write about right. the things people say about their own players, like best shape of his life. Like he, he's going to pick up piano like Christian McCaffrey next. And then that'll help him replicate his production on the field or something. I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch in camp. If we hear anything from Rogers, Aaron Rodgers, as in, uh, you know, he's turning over a new leaf and he's going to like throw the ball to Watson right away um, to try to get the young player involved because the Aaron Rodgers of old is going to pepper uh, Randall Cobb with targets, um, Alan Lazard with targets and maybe Sammy Watkins, but um, it's not going to be pretty if he doesn't turn over a new leaf. So be curious to see if there's any news around that. Um, Sammy Watkins has had a little bit of hype recently, uh, but I will say that he's finally at the age where he's getting older for an NFL receiver. I believe he's 29 now. It seems like it's taken about two decades, but, um, and he's only guaranteed like $350,000 on a one-year deal. So we're going to hear some hype on him, uh, Sammy Watkins, but um, the the money and his age would say that it's not going to happen. So uh, if you needed any reassurance on Watkins, I, I'm still fading him. Yeah, when it really comes down to it, I think this entire wide receiver room is a bunch of role players that aren't going to really hit a 20% target share for any of them individually. And the most likely outcome is that none of them are all that useful in fantasy. So yep. I think it's going to be like the biggest waste of breath by everybody this offseason is trying to figure out which Packers receiver to draft. Um 
I and really the answer is probably going to end up being like Will Fuller or, or Odell Beckham <laughs> getting signed in like week three. It, I I so hope that this happens. I need I need to watch this. <laughs> uh, don't do Will Fuller to me. Uh, just wait till after the drafts, or else I'm going to have him in every league. So uh, Beckham, <laughs> I think it's going to be a while before we see Beckham anywhere. Coming off his second ACL injury of his career, um, it was in the Super Bowl. So I would not count on Beckham until like playoff push for some of these teams, which would make sense for the Packers. But uh, Fuller might be a little more realistic, but we were hoping they were going to do that last year, even when they had Devontae Adams. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of giving up hope on them making a splashy move here at receiver. Yeah, fully agreed. And and now to go to the Packers position that everybody wants to hear about yeah. running back. Third <laughs> the, string the, running back. Yes, third string Packers <laughs> running back. Uh, I am back in on Kylan Hill. Uh, you might remember he was a late round addition for them last year. Uh, he made the roster, I uh, believe was contributing on special teams, uh, was Taking some touches here and there seemed like he was about to actually earn a role in or at least a small role, like a gadgety type of role in the offense. Uh, and then he went down with a torn ACL. But this year he's back. It sounds like his recovery is going well. And the Packers didn't really add any more real depth. They signed a couple of undrafted free agents that I assume Kylan Hill is probably going to make the roster over. So he he could have genuine fantasy utility if either Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon go down, especially as we've talked about with the target black hole in this offense that has to be filled. Yep. That's maybe a player, Kylan Hill, that you can grab uh, in a deep dynasty league after the rookie draft. Maybe people are cutting players to make room for the rookies um, because yeah, after Jones, Dillon and Kylan Hill, uh, there's only three players showing on the roster right now, and they've got a combined like $16,000 guaranteed to them. So there's really nothing after those top three running backs. So hopefully Hill's healthy. He can get on the field. That will be a big thing to watch. And training camp is just, uh, does he have his burst back? Yeah, for sure. And it, I will say, obviously, if you aren't hearing anything good about Kylan Hill, then I mean, he's probably not going to make the roster at that point if, as a late round pick from a year ago that, got injured in his first season and didn't see the field that much. Like we're, we're hardcore speculating on a lot yeah. of these guys and how their, uh, how their preseasons are going to go, but just yeah. want to give you some names to watch and look out for. Yeah. But I mean, it's worth bringing up. It's, it's a proven running game. Um, they like to use two backs and there's not much depth there. So I I'm on board with that one. Okay. Let's move to Minnesota. Um, I it's, Actually kind of an interesting team. It's kind of more of the same, but maybe we get a new spin on it this year. So uh, what's your headline out of the Vikings? Yeah, so my headline is what is going to happen at tight end for the Vikings because Tyler Conklin uh, stepped up pretty admirably last year. We were streaming him a lot yeah. uh, in, our, in our weekly tight end streaming segment. Um, now it's just Irv Smith pretty much alone on the depth chart. It, it's him and some guys you have not heard of. Uh, so all these Irv Smith truthers that uh, watched Alabama a bunch four <laughs> years ago and think Irv Smith is really good. Uh, th this might be your time. Uh, his underdog ADP is at 136.4 right now. Um, it is at least allegedly going to be a decent passing offense and th there's targets up for grabs. Um, I don't love just kind of guessing on these tight end breakouts. Like it, it feels like there's not a whole lot to go on most of the time, uh, especially when they do have other target competition on the team. But 
I, I guess I don't hate throwing the dart at Irv Smith if you're building out your tight end group. Yeah, I mean, he does not have the block of Tyler Conklin and uh, Kyle Rudolph before that. That kind of just soaks up half the snaps. I mean, they're going to – well, you'd think they play a lot of two tight end, although it is a new offensive system. They've traditionally played a lot of two tight end. But um, So he was still seeing the field, but we always had those other tight ends that stole some of the shine from him, and it's just not there this year. Uh, so I, I do like it. There is also always – um, as streamlined as this Vikings offense is between Jefferson, Thielen, and Dalvin Cook, uh, there's always the chance of an injury to one of them, opens up a whole bunch of work. So if this is the year that Thielen falls apart uh, because of his age, uh, Smith could be someone who comes in and takes uh, a little bit off his plate. So I, I do agree. Uh, we've all been burnt chasing these youngish tight ends. It seems like you usually have to wait till their second contract for the most part. Um, so I'm being reserved here with Irv Smith, uh, but I do think he's an option. We've heard uh, we've heard talk that this passing offense may be more pass heavy, less run heavy coming out of the Mike Zimmer era. So there may be something here for Irv Smith and we tend to be a year early on these guys anyway. So, um, that would certainly make sense for Irv Smith. So he's got a good shot this year. I agree with you. Let's see how he looks in camp. Um, we really, I think more than positive reviews, we probably just want him on the field, like full, full amount of snaps with the ones that's going to be the biggest thing we're looking for. Yeah, if if we hear that he's the clear tight end one and is moving out to the slot and taking snaps there, then that that's when you're going to see his ADP start to increase. So I I think it's probably responsible to put a few to get get a few darts down on him right now while he's relatively affordable. Yeah. Um, if and aside from that, if Irv Smith isn't the one that steps up, it's probably not going to be KJ Osborne. I think we've seen enough from KJ Osborne at this point that we're not all that excited. Uh, but Emir Smith-Marset is a player that exists on the Vikings roster. Uh, he was a rookie last year, mostly played on special teams. And then for that one magical moment in week 18 in a game that didn't matter, he put up 100 yards. Uh, he's probably a lock for the roster just because of his special teams ability. He is sort of this fast field stretchery type of guy. I could see him potentially fitting in at the very least as sort of a role player slash field stretcher. Uh, I, I think he's a name to watch. And this is the type of receiver that gets hyped during camp, but doesn't deliver. But I, I mean, I think it's valuable to bring his name up now before you potentially start hearing concrete reports about him. Oh, man. Amir Smith-Marset is on the end of every one of my dynasty benches along with Amari Rogers. So I've got a ton of them. Fifth round pick last year for the Vikings. Like you said, field stretcher out of Iowa. Um, yeah, I think there's some stuff to like there. I agree with that. Uh, so that's that's probably the big thing in camp is um, are they higher on KJ Osborne or Amir Smith-Marset? Uh, new coaching staff, they may have different preferences for that third receiver role. So keep an eye on that because one of these years, Adam Thielen is going to take a step back. Uh, he's still... He, he may not be the yardage producer that he once was, but he's still scoring touchdowns. But uh, he's almost 32. The end is going to come for him eventually, and uh, there would be a huge opportunity if it does. Yeah, and just the last thing I want to say about Adam Thielen is he, he's the exact type of kind of aging receiver that I had in mind when I was starting to look through contracts thinking, oh, well, may, maybe he could be like a surprise camp cut if they don't think he's looking good and they can save a ton of money. Uh, but no, his, the, the way his contract is set up, his dead cap would actually be higher than his cap hit if he were to be cut this year. So he is going absolutely nowhere, at least from a team transaction standpoint. 
Yeah, and the range he's being drafted in is a fascinating range of wide receiver. Uh, he is wide receiver 35 right now on under, underdog. Um, 34 is Drake London. Uh, but then after Thielen, we've got Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Russell Gage, Hunter Renfro, Traylon Burks, Brandon Ayuk. Like, I feel like this is the range that a lot of people are just going to skip completely. So um, I don't know. I, I think there could be a value on Thielen overall, but that, that just because he's fallen so far. But that, that's probably a conversation for another day. Yeah, Adam Thielen will probably have his weeks. He yeah. probably won't be a consistent producer, but he'll yeah. catch a bunch of t- a bunch of touchdowns and make Twitter angry, hopefully. So, yeah, that's what we can expect out of him. What is your headline in Chicago coming out of training camp? Yeah, so my biggest thing that I have my ear to the ground on for Chicago is the backfield, actually. Uh, David Montgomery obviously has played it adequately when he's been there uh but i the more i think about it i think khalil herbert could hold genuine fantasy value this year it's a completely new coaching staff so anytime there's a new coaching staff we can see players earn roles and be valued differently by them that than they had before uh herbert played very well in montgomery's absence last year i could see this turning into more of a committee and once you hear whispers about that uh, Khalil Herbert becomes a huge value at his ADP of 162. And if Montgomery gets hurt, then I he's like a high-end RB2 every week probably. So he's somebody that you definitely want to keep your ear to the ground on. Yeah, we saw Herbert show some ability last year. Um, he's just a strong runner. And uh, with the new coaching staff, there's just nothing that says they're going to give David Montgomery 75% of the touches or whatever. So I agree with you. Uh, I think we talked about him on our last podcast, but um, yeah, I'm taking a lot of Khalil Herbert late. Um, You get the handcuff upside and you also just get maybe a role that he gets worked into throughout the year. Um, Plus the rest of this roster on running back, really the whole offense, but uh, running back specifically, um, not great. Uh, You got David Montgomery and then Darrington Evans. Uh, Tristan Ebner, who I actually have on a lot of rosters as a super late dynasty flyer, but he's a pass catching back. Um, somebody named Demontre Tuggle. Uh, it, there's not much there running back. So if something happens to Montgomery, uh, this is a huge opportunity for Khalil Herbert. Yeah. And then moving into their pass catchers, uh, the, I think the real like NFC North tight end dichotomy this offseason is going to be Irv Smith or Cole Komet. Uh also, unrelated, we probably had this same debate like last June before Irv Torres ACL. Mm-hmm. Uh, every everybody was at each other's throats on which of them would be the tight end breakout. But where time is a flat circle, and we're right back here of which one of these guys is gonna suddenly take a big step forward in their production. And to be fair to Commit Commit, he did play pretty well last year. At, got more targets and more catches than you probably think. Uh, He just ran extremely cold on touchdowns. So honestly, I feel a little bit better about Cole Komet than I do Irv Smith. The offense isn't as tantalizing, but I think there's much more of a foundation of NFL production here where I could believe that he takes a step forward into like genuine every week usage as opposed to we're desperate one week and we stream him. Ryan, he did not run cold on touchdowns. Uh, Jimmy Graham was on the roster, and that was his role, was touchdown scorer. I don't know if you remember that. So um, as of now, he is a free agent. I don't see that he is retired, so there's still a chance that he comes back to the Bears. But I'm I'm thinking a new coaching staff. Uh, we've maybe freed Cole Komet just by Jimmy Graham leaving the roster. 
Yeah, that that is a good point that he <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy Graham. If if we're, again we're talking about black holes on this podcast, he he is the touchdown black hole. Nothing can escape his event horizon. Yeah. So, but you do have mentioned in your notes Ryan Griffin and James O'Shaughnessy. Those certainly sound like frustrating uh, touchdown vultures for Cole Komet, right? Yeah, I mean those are those are players you've heard of. That's the reason I wrote them in with with, with the with Irv Smith. I was like, I'm not even going to write these guys' names down. Like, no, no, zero people listening have heard the names of the tight ends that are behind him on the depth chart. So why bother? Um, so that that sort of illustrates that point, I think. No, uh, tight end is always fun. So so yeah, I, th- I think that the camp headline would kind of be look for reports that maybe Khalil Herbert's challenging Montgomery for playing time. Uh, that's the big takeaway. Um, I think receiver in general, it's kind of Mooney or bust, right? Yeah, I there I don't foresee any Bears receiver besides Mooney getting any sort of camp hype. Um Valus Jones is like the 30 year old rookie, right? That that's like the tired joke about him is that he's super old. Uh, and Dante Pettis is on this team. I thought, I thought that was interesting. I could not, I'm sure Dante Pettis has been on like three rosters between this one and the 49ers a couple years ago, how time flies. Uh, yeah, that's pretty, pretty much all you're looking at here. Uh, Byron Pringles here. I'm, I'm sure he will succeed on the bears after doing nothing on the chiefs. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, j- j- again, just write in Will Fuller here. I guess that's all. That's really all I can come away with. Yeah, I do like uh, Mooney. I, I've been drafting a, a decent amount of him. Uh, ADP about sixty. I, I think he drops sometimes too. So I'm not sure if the breakout potential is necessarily there. But if Justin Fields can regain some of that uh, that hype that we had coming into his rookie year, I, I think Mooney could have an awfully nice season. So, um, all yeah. right, I think that probably covers the Bears. Any last thoughts on them? Yeah, I just want to say Mooney had like a 28% target share or something ridiculous like that. I, I don't know if that's a real number, but it, it was really high. Uh, he like he was outperforming Allen Robinson pretty much every week. So I I can see I can understand why people are potentially excited about him. Yep. And uh, when I was doing some research for our AFC pod, that'll be coming up uh, after this one. Uh, number one in percentage of deep throws last year was Russell Wilson. Uh, number two was Justin Fields, and it was a, a pretty good gap after those two. So uh, Fields was bombing it away last year. That certainly fits Moody. So uh, there's some good things there. Okay, let's get to the Lions. Um, I think America's team at this point, right? I think everyone's on board with the Lions. They are making the playoffs. I hope they're going to be good, but I, I, I'm starting to worry for Lions fans. So what do you got for the Lions in training camp? It would be very fun if they were good. Um, so I think – the big thing here is mostly about their receivers. Um, we we can I I want to say I did not write a Monroe St. Brown's name on this document because we, I think we've given enough airtime about a Monroe St. Brown on this podcast. But I, I will say, look looking elsewhere, uh, DJ Chark got signed to a ten million dollar deal this offseason. It was a one year deal, uh, but he's going to see the field like if, if he's healthy, which I, we assume he is. Um, he, he's actually an obstacle for Jamison Williams, in my opinion, especially as Williams is coming back from his ACL injury. I don't think that Williams is just going to walk on to the field and start seeing 90% of the snaps as soon as he's healthy. Uh, Chark is going to be there for him to contend with. I, I mean, I'm sure that Jamison Williams is, going to overtake him as the season goes on uh, or, or just be on the other, maybe they'll each be on the outside, just running in a straight line down the field. 
and hoping Jared Goff can reach them. Um, yeah. But yeah, in all seriousness, Jameson Williams, I think is a very good best ball tournament pick because if his production does spike, it will likely be towards the end of the season during the fantasy playoffs when it really, really matters in those tournament structures. Uh, and maybe you'll even have him at low roster ship. Like may- maybe there won't be that many teams in the finals that have someone like Jamison Williams. Uh, but that that's really all I can say there. there. There's really also still not a whole lot of depth beyond the three receivers I just mentioned on this offense. Uh, I, I really wouldn't be all that surprised if we start seeing another situation where like Josh Reynolds is getting eight targets a game. Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean Reynolds has been serviceable. I think I would not for fantasy purposes, but he's been serviceable. Khalif Raymond, I think, has had a moment or two. Like they at least have a few more names than what they were left with at the end of last year. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see Jameson Williams how fast he comes along. Um, are we talking? You know, it's not till week five, six, seven until he's fully incorporated into the office, or is he hit the ground running right away? Um, I think there's also the question of does Jared Goff have the deep ball to fully utilize Jameson Williams? Do they use him as a, a full fledged receiver? Or is he just out there, you know, on the sideline running deep downfield and running wind sprints? So uh, that's going to be a lot of what I'm looking for. And I, I, I kind of think you're right uh, with DJ Chark. He's going to have the opportunity early on. And I, that might even give us a little glimmer of how they're going to use Williams. I mean, I, Williams is a way more talented player than DJ Chark. I'm not trying to compare him too much here, but um, maybe it gives us a little idea of how Williams gets used in this offense. Yeah, for sure. And then just taking a look at their backfield, I think this is an interesting nugget. Uh, The Lions can save $3 million against the cap if they cut Jamal Williams. Uh, I think Jamal Williams played pretty well last year. Like they, he kind of did what they wanted when he was on the field. But do you think Craig Reynolds can be like 90% of Jamal Williams? I think he probably can. So if I, if I'm sitting in the GM chair in Detroit, I'm probably like, if I need $3 million, I don't really see why I would not let Jamal Williams go. I don't, I don't think he's all that critical to what they're doing, especially if this is, this probably isn't the year that the Lions are contending. So yeah. I, I don't see why Jamal Williams needs to necessarily fit into their long-term plans either. Yeah. I mean, I guess it just comes down to, yeah, I, I could see them moving on from Williams. It's the last year of his deal anyway. And Craig Reynolds was pretty serviceable last year. I, mean, I think even Jamar Jefferson was okay at times. So I, I think they could get by without Williams for sure. But um, yeah, Craig Reynolds may be an, uh, someone to keep an eye on in deep leagues. Um, just kind of someone to stash at the end of a dynasty bench. Yeah, and if let's do the thought exercise. If Jamal Williams does get cut, uh, DeAndre Swift right now is going like middle of the second on underdog. Does his ADP rise if Jamal Williams gets cut and should it? I don't think it should because uh, he, he pretty much took over last year. Once once Swift got healthy um, I, and got his legs under him, I think he, he pretty much took that role from uh, – I think a lot of people remember like week one, I think it was, Jamal Williams catching a bunch of balls. But um, I don't think it should. I could see it jump him up a little bit though just because Jamal Williams is a name and uh, you'll see the headline. And and But he uh, DeAndre Swift right now is RB8. Um, I'm, I guess he could move ahead of Mixon. Uh, Mixon hasn't been that kind of pass catching back, but I, I don't know if he's got a ton of room to move up at this point. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think it would necessarily justify a move up, but I also don't think I would mind drafting Swift 
ahead of somebody like Mixon or Dalvin Cook even right now if that were where his ADP was at. So I, yeah. I don't know that it's super consequential, but I, I think it's good to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading an article about uh, Joe Mixon's third down snaps last year, and they uh, they fell off a cliff about midseason. So they, they tried to use him on third downs, and whatever happened, uh, they went to Samaje Pirine for the third round back. So yeah, that's uh, that more on that uh, in the AFC podcast, because hopefully they use someone other than Samaje Pirine to catch passes. But uh, anyway. I think that wraps up the NFC North. Um, let's get to the NFC South and start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers rolling it back with Tom Brady for maybe one more year. Yeah, I I would say one more year. Just one? I, yeah, I think my like big issue, this is super off topic, but my big thing is I feel like Tom Brady probably wants to go out as a winner like as a Super Bowl champion like that that would make sense to me um but I I don't know that the Bucks are at least their offense I don't know that they're equipped to make the kind of run that they have been in the last couple of years so I like I mean their division's very soft like they should have a pretty easy walk to the playoffs but I I don't I just don't really see without without Gronk being there uh, would Godwin likely to miss the first six weeks or so as he comes back from injury? Uh, I when Tom Brady's throwing a Russell Gage, I just don't know how like how excited we can be about this offense. I, I think we m- might be overrating like how good the Bucks are going to be on offense at, after the crazy year that Brady had last year. So that yeah. just kind of an overall thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, not only that, they're without Antonio Brown too, who. I mean, he was in and out of the lineup last year, but he was targeted at a ridiculous clip for the amount of snaps that he played. I mean, when he was on the field, he got the ball. So uh, with Godwin out at first, Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, you're right. It's a massive hole here. Uh, Mike Evans has kind of made his living recently on scoring touchdowns. I mean, he still puts up his thousand yard seasons, but that's really what he falls back on for fantasy. Uh, If they're not scoring as much, what does that look like? So uh, do you have any thoughts behind Evans on who we're going to see catching passes here for Tampa Bay or even just kind of the things to look for in camp, the players we're looking for? Yeah, so I, I mentioned him already, but Russell Gage uh, performed decently well on the Falcons last year um, with without much else around him on the depth chart, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, so I could see him walking into like a 19, 20% target share and being like a boring wide receiver three type for fantasy. Uh, beyond that, we're looking at Rashad Perriman, uh, who just will is that player that keeps sticking around the league and just will not wash out of the league completely. Yep. These these former first round picks are like cockroaches. <laughs> They're impossible to get rid of. Uh, and then there's Tyler Johnson, I am assuming is probably in there with him for like the wide receiver three wide receiver four competition. Uh, Johnson hasn't actually been great even on like a per snap or a per route basis, uh, despite how much a lot of us in the fantasy community liked him as a prospect, even after he fell in the draft. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the answer beyond Russell Gage is probably Leonard Fournette just catching more passes or Rashad White or Gio Bernard carving out a role. I, like, I, I just don't see any of these marginal wide receivers being relevant. 
Yeah, I mean they drafted uh, Jalen Darden last year in the fourth round, but he's five foot eight. Uh, they used him as a kick and punt returner. Not that he can't contribute on offense, but I mean he only saw twelve targets last year. Uh, yeah, there, there's not a lot of encouraging options. I, I guess this would be one of those teams. I mean, Tampa Bay is just always going to be a threat to sign a veteran receiver. You know, sign one of these guys who's still around after six weeks or something. So um, we'll see. I, I do think Gage showed a little bit last year beyond just being a, a, a vanilla slot receiver that just kind of is there and catches passes. I, he showed he made a few plays downfield last year. So maybe it's really Gage here, but it sure looks like somebody's either going to have to really step up here or somebody's getting added to fill out this receiving court. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about the receivers is with Gage's ADP at 78 on underdog, I don't think you can draft him there in a tournament because the, the reason he's that high is because we're assuming he's going to have six weeks of no Chris Godwin, but that doesn't matter. Come playoff time in these tournaments. Like you, you need to be maximizing hardcore for like week 15, 16, 17. And that, that Russell Gage is doing the opposite of that. Yeah, that's fair. And and like we mentioned with these players coming off injury, um, I, I'm willing to give Godwin a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he's what, 26 years old. Um, he's also like an elite athlete. Like he's, he's just a, an all around good football player. I kind of trust him coming back from this injury uh, more so than some of these older receivers we'll get to later on in the series. So yeah, I think that's a good point for if you're trying to win an overall on underdog, uh, Gage may fade a bit down the stretch. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's still just room for three receivers here. I mean, they've they've kind of supported him in the past. It's been a li- little bit touchdown dependent at times. But I don't know. If Brady keeps looking like Brady, maybe just all – and anyone who's on the field, he just drags along with him. Yeah, I, I do think my conclusion from this whole segment is that I'm actually in on Mike Evans this year, and I'm going to continue drafting him. And I'm not usually a Mike Evans person, but I – I think it makes a lot of sense now. And a player I've fallen for before, uh, Cameron Brait. Uh, you're telling me I, I, I can't draft Cameron Brait, can I? You can't draft Cameron Brait, and here's why. There were games that Rob Gronkowski didn't play last year, and Cameron Brait still was not fantasy relevant. I, like, I have no idea why his ADP is up three rounds in the last week on underdog. Uh, j- just don't. Like, the, there doesn't have to be I, – pe- I feel like people make this mistake with tight ends a lot is – when a star tight end goes down, it's kind of assumed that whoever's next on the depth chart is just going to step into their shadow and take all of their vacated targets. But a, a lot of these teams just aren't aren't equipped with a second tight end that is going to function like a handcuff. So, yeah. yeah. And and last year, Bray behind Gronk was competing with O.J. Howard. And uh, reports out of Bill's camp so far is that uh, O.J. Howard is struggling to separate uh, so far. So, uh, yeah, Bray didn't have a lot of competition last year at times and it didn't really matter. So I'm on board with you. I, I've taken him real late in a dynasty startup just cause it's tight end. Who else are you going to take? But not much use. I don't think for other than the, the five random touchdowns, Bray's going to score this year. So, um, okay, let's move on to the saints here. Um, man, there's a lot, I, I don't even know where to begin with the saints. So uh, what, what piques your interest up top on the saints? Um, we'll, we'll start with like what I think is actionable on the saints. Uh, and that is that there is production to be had here at their running back position, especially if Alvin Kamara gets suspended for the first six weeks, uh, like has been leaked, Le- leaked, rumored. What are the diff- What is the difference these days? Um, right. But if we're expecting at least a few games for Kamara to miss, uh, there's kind of a black hole here at running back. I, I don't think Mark Ingram is 
going to be fantasy relevant. I, if you're if you're washing out of the Ravens backfield last year, that I just like don't I don't know what to say. Like and I, Houston, I think that's right? the Texans too. And you said, yeah, think, you right? sure. I, I, I don't even know. Yeah, I, I honestly can't. I could not tell you. That sounds right. Sure. Um, but yeah, at this point, I am going to prefer undrafted free agent Abram Smith. Uh, he runs a four or five, weighs like 213. He's this kind of like a middling athlete, kind of prototypical uh, running back. The thing that's important, though, is he was guaranteed $220,000 when he signed. Uh, for comparison, the probably the most hyped undrafted free agent this year is uh, wide receiver Justin Ross on the Chiefs. Uh, he's guaranteed $0. So to have an undrafted free agent come in being guaranteed this kind of money is at the very least notable. If we start hearing good things about him in camp, then he's going to see week one touches at the very least. So he's someone I really like adding at like at the very end of best ball drafts, especially this time of year. Yeah. And I mean, obviously now, nowadays the saints without Drew Brees and Sean Payton, it's, it's not the same, but we've certainly seen a, a secondary running back come in and have value in this offense, traditionally good offensive line. I know they lost Teron Armstead, but they used a pick to replace him right away in the first round. Uh, They do have some weapons, they're going to have a good defense. So I, I do think that there's some value here. I don't know that we're going to be able to predict it until like it already happens and they're hyping up one of these guys, but I just would say whichever one they're hyping up in camp, uh, put them on your bench in dynasty or wherever, because I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think Ingram's going to happen. I think he's a veteran presence at this point. And uh, if Camara really misses six games, they're going to have to give the ball to somebody with a little more juice. Yep. Agreed completely. And then moving on to the wide receivers, uh, <laughs> So Michael Thomas's current underdog ADP is 74.6. He has not been on a football field, Eric, in almost two years now. Uh, It was an ankle injury that he, that I don't know if you remember last off season, he had surgery on it apparently like three weeks, three months after he had it. The fact that he had the surgery came out and that he was going to miss part of the season. And then he just didn't. He, he just didn't, he, yeah, I don't want to say he like quit or whatever. Cause that's like, obviously we don't know the situation, but we, we, we don't know the situation with Michael <laughs> Thomas. Why, why is he being drafted in every underdog draft? Like, I, is it all that crazy to think that he's not going to be relevant this year? No. And I mean, I hate to agree on all these, but this is a big stance of mine is that I'm not touching Michael Thomas. Um, he, he seems a little bit headed down the Antonio Brown path of like, it's not, I don't know if it's off field problems. I don't know if it's just personality in the locker room or what, but I mean, if, if Tom Brady hadn't taken Antonio Brown under his wing, he probably would have been out of the league three years ago. Like he just would have burned all of his bridges. And it feels like Thomas is heading a similar path here. So I agree with you. Not only has he not been on the field for a while, we haven't seen him do it without Drew Brees. I mean, have a big season without Drew Brees. So yeah, there's way too many red flags here for Thomas for me. I, he's just, I don't think I've drafted him in a couple of years now and I'll continue to do that. Yeah. And here's my thing. Like if Michael Thomas is on the field in training camp and looking good and he's healthy and has a good connection with Jameis Winston or whatever, how high is his ADP going to go? Like, I don't think he's going to suddenly be like 
a top 10 receiver. I, I could see it. Like, are you, are you drafting him over like Terry McLaurin at that point? Maybe that would be like the range, like late third. It would be my kind of like ballpark guess. I don't, you're not profiting that much by taking on all this risk of Michael Thomas in like the seventh round right now. Like I, if you, yeah. if you're a huge Michael Thomas fan, just wait and draft him in the third or the fourth round a couple months from now, if that's what has to happen. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, I'm also very down on, I mean, I'm down on this offense in general. Um, I'm down on James Winston, who has been up and down, who's had, you know, he wasn't even a starter for a year there. I mean, like, he's just going to come back from his ACL injury and just light it up. Like we saw Joe Burrow get eased into it last year. Like, I don't, I don't understand why we're just expecting James Winston and Michael Thomas to just jump in week one and just put up, just light up the scoreboard. So I think this is going to be a defensive team. They're going to ease Jameis back in. They're going to run it as much as they can. And that, that, you know, when you throw in a drafted rookie in the first round, who's pro ready from all accounts and Chris Alave, like I, I, I just don't see the massive volume here for Michael Thomas that everyone is going to be hoping for from years past. Yep. There was, there was a game last year where Jameis had like eight pass attempts, right? That was, yeah. That was real. Like yeah. five hey, touchdowns, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> hey, every everybody gets mad about or not mad, but everybody loves to bring up the that Mac Jones game where he threw like three passes. But for some reason, Jameis Winston gets off scot free on this. <laughs> and that, that kind of angers me as a Patriots fan. Like, what why are you picking on my guy? Yeah. Uh, I, I take Mac at this point. So uh, I'm right there with you. All right. Yeah. I, I think the saints are going to be a mess. So I'm not investing in them much at all. I, I think I'm even avoiding out Alvin Kamara at this point at his price. So um, let's get on to another, well, a couple more fun teams coming up. Let's start with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, make sense of this team for me here, Ryan. Yeah. So I'll, <laughs> I'll just say up front, like draft all the Kyle Pitts and Drake London that you can get your hands on. I, I think both of their ADPs are, completely reasonable actually and not not at all like based on like unfounded ideas of them taking huge steps forward uh the track record of top 10 receivers is pretty decent for the nfl at least in recent years um and there's no target competition here for drake london um he's going at an adp of 70.8 that that's very affordable uh Go, going right next to like Traylon Burks and Adam Thielen, as you said earlier. So he he's someone that I easily prefer out of that group. Um, yeah. But it, looking beyond that, <laughs> there's just not a whole lot to talk about. Um, I Damian Williams is likely the RB two uh, behind Cordero Patterson. Tyler Algier is also there. I believe they drafted him in the fifth round. He was someone that I thought could make noise as a prospect, but then he ran very slow and he's not the biggest either. So that kind of made me lose interest in him. Uh, But I guess if you hear good things about him, then obviously the Falcons can do whatever they want with this backfield. I I don't think there's a whole lot of expectations as far as them winning this year. So we, we could see some weird types of moves, uh, Cordero Patterson, just looking at the numbers of his contract, you would think, oh, he could be a cut candidate. Like he's kind of older. They save money against the cap. Um, But I'm not sure why they would. Like he's providing them production. Um, Their offense was very ugly when he wasn't on the field last year. Um, But I mean, these teams that have bottomed out do weird things sometimes. Like I, I said the same thing about Leonard Fournette on the Jags a few years ago when he was a surprise camp cut. Like why, why would they cut him? Like there it's, not like they're like they're saving some money, but what what is the point? Like it's 
kind of yeah. <laughs> what difference this is making to their success this year. Um, yeah, but, I mean, they did just re-sign Patterson, but I can't remember if that was when they maybe thought they had a chance at uh, Deshaun Watson or not. I, I, it's been a wild offseason for Atlanta. So, yeah, I, I Patterson's the most expensive. I'm not going to be touching him. I He fell off a cliff last year. He's age 31. I, I think really other than Pitts in London, it's just – look for the cheap players that have a, a good week at camp and maybe add them to the end of a dynasty roster. It's, it's hard for me to get too excited about Damian Williams. Um, I don't know. It just seems like a team like this would be better served getting a, a maybe a 22 year old Tyler Algier or somebody like that involved, but they didn't exactly do that last year. So I, I don't know, but I would hope the youth movement is starting now that Matt Ryan's gone. Yeah. One would hope. And the, yeah, <laughs> I like, I, I really wish I had like a name to throw out there of yeah. like a wide receiver but like I, they traded for brian edwards like I, I think that says enough in itself that there's yeah. there's not a whole lot to get excited about here hey edwards though hey he'll, he'll get a shot right uh no i'm i'm on the anti brian edwards okay like cou- counter insurgents this year okay. just to to make up for lost time so yeah that's, that's where i'm at hard to get too excited with uh the combination of uh Marcus Mariota or uh, Desmond Ritter. I mean, Ritter has some upside maybe, but uh, hard to see him coming and lighting it up year one. So, yeah, probably not a ton to watch for in Atlanta, but just kind of watch some of these backups, see if anyone sparks during training camp. So let's go ahead and get into an equally fun and confusing team here, uh, the Carolina Panthers. Uh, what's your training camp headline for the Panthers? Yeah, so when I was looking through depth charts, I was a little surprised to see Ian Thomas uh, still sitting at the top of the Panthers depth chart at tight end. Yeah. Uh, I did for, I just completely missed that they re-signed him, I guess. And he got 8 million guaranteed, which I, the tight end market is very inflated uh, this off season, but that's not nothing like they, that is at least somewhat of a commitment to him. Yeah. Uh, so if, for, if you like Tommy tremble for some reason, all, all like three of you out there, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want to tell you to not because like you're, you're just so far beyond my sphere of influence, I guess, but get like good luck, I guess. I, not that I'm touting Ian Thomas either, just to be clear. Yeah. Um, it's both of their stocks took a hit when uh, Sam Darnold came back, I'd say. Yeah. And that, that is really the story of this team is I, I don't think you should get excited about any of the receivers besides DJ Moore, unless there's a quarterback change here. I, it's, it's just, it's kind of like, what's the point? Like we, we've saw how this played out last year. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, you mentioned in your notes about Robbie Anderson, you know, does he retire? Does he get traded? What's going on with him? I do think he's a bit of a bounce back candidate. If he got put on another team, I mean, he's had some production, not elite production, but he's had a consistent career production in the NFL. Um, it's just when you start getting the retirement stuff and some of the just kind of character, I don't know if it's even character issues. He just seems like a, a different kind of guy, Robbie Anderson. So um, it, it's kind of, that kind of gives you pause here, even if he does get traded. I, I'm not sure. I think he's about age 29 now. I'm not sure how much Robbie Anderson has left in the tank, but I, I don't know. Maybe he could get rejuvenated on a, a better franchise. Robbie Anderson had his initial breakout year with Sam Darnold on the Jets. Like yeah. pe- people forget this. And that then he came and really ran like pace for pace with DJ Moore, his first year on the Panthers. And then it really just kind of bottomed out from there. Um, I, yeah, I, 
yes, if you are hearing decent things about him, he becomes like a late round bench stash kind of player, but nothing you're going to be running to hit the draft button for. Uh, Terrace Marshall, I just want to shout out. I honestly a little underreported of how bad his rookie <laughs> year was after the amount of like undying support that or not support, I guess, but the <laughs> amount of undying hype and confidence people had in him. Uh, his yards per team pass attempt, which is one of my favorite stats is for uh, like evaluating first year players. His yards per team attempt was in line with Diami Brown, uh, mm. who Diami Brown, if you don't remember, was losing snaps to guys whose names actually escape me right now on Washington. <laughs> I think last Adam year. Humphreys was around late in the season, wasn't he? Adam Humphreys. Um, oh yeah, God, it was not yeah. great. It'll it'll come back to me probably <laughs> like right before we're done recording, and I'll blurt it out randomly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I if. Anderson does retire. I'm still not on board with Marshall. The, these rookie year face planners just have too bad of a track record for me to pay anything for Terrace Marshall in any format. Yep. And Robbie Anderson, I'm just fascinated with Robbie Anderson. I feel like he, he's been in the league six years. Um, lowest target total, 78 is rookie year. He's been uh, over 100 three different times. Uh, the other two years were 94 and 96 targets. He's been targeted like crazy. Uh, one 1,000 yard year though. Um, that was uh, two years ago with uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Not a big touchdown score, man. He gets targets. He's gotten targets every year. He's had bad quarterbacks, and sadly, he's probably reaching the end of his prime. And we're just not going to see much here. So, probably nothing to see with Robbie Anderson. But I, I in a in a dynasty league, if he got traded, I would uh, check my waiver wire or offer like a, a fifth round pick or something for him. Yep. Yeah. I I think that about sums it up there. Yeah. I don't want to talk about the Panthers anymore. <laughs> do people frankly. have fifth round dynasty rookie picks? I, I'm not sure if it goes that far, maybe fourth round. <laughs> I do in a few leagues. I probably shouldn't, but right. it, yeah, it's not a whole lot of point, but. All right, let's wrap things up on the NFC West here. We will start with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, what are you looking for in training camp with the Cardinals? Yeah, for the Cardinals, I want to know who the RB two is. Uh, we, after the draft, it appeared to be Keontae Ingram. Uh, who they added in the sixth round, I believe. It, it was fairly late. Um, but then they went out and signed Daryl Williams a couple weeks ago. Um, so he's probably the presumptive RB2, unless Keontae Ingram can really push him and win that job. Uh, if that is the case, then I want Keontae Ingram on my fantasy rosters. Uh, James Conner has quite the long injury history. Uh, I mean, we've seen the Cardinals use two running backs a lot. I, I think that's probably the idea they had signing Daryl Williams. I think he's like a pretty serviceable, like committee type of back. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't see the upside there. I, like, I don't, I don't see Daryl Williams putting up weekly RB one numbers if Connor gets hurt, but with a rookie like Keontae Ingram, that type of thing is always possible. Yeah. And he was a six round pick out of USC Ingram was, um, yeah, I think the big takeaway is just that, um, it's, it's pretty clear that, you know, Benjamin is just not going to be a, a between the tackles runner type. He might catch a few passes at, from time to time, but, um, I, yeah, I would be looking behind Connor, whether it's Ingram, Daryl Williams, uh, that, that's really your only other options for someone who could take 20 carries. Um, and you know, I mean, that's what Connor did last year. He, he, 
he actually he was better probably than we thought he was going to be in that role but it's not like uh that we were looking at adrian peterson out there he was just getting touchdowns and i think his role in this offense is uh, a valuable one so if something happens to him i agree it's either ingram or daryl williams so just keep an eye on it in training camp um i, I feel like daryl williams is one of those guys that the coaches like generally uh but that was also with a different team so who knows now that he's in arizona uh, maybe Ingram has uh, a little something as a rookie and they, they go with him instead. So keep an eye on that backfield for sure. Cause lots of touchdowns are available. We saw that last year. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is that AJ green uh, sim- similarly to Adam Thielen is, was the exact type of wide receiver going into the research for this, where I was like, Oh, maybe like maybe his contract would be such that he could be a surprise camp cut as like an older receiver. Uh, they actually re-signed him this offseason, and he's on an extremely team-friendly deal. So he he is not going anywhere. He he will be on the roster and will probably command targets, especially as long as DeAndre Hopkins is out. I'm, I mean, you look around at this Cardinals receiver depth chart. Uh, you've got Hollywood Brown, who I I think is justifiably get getting a lot of love recently. Um, and and then it's not a whole lot. It's AJ Green. It's Rondale Moore. Uh, who I, after one season, I'm not sure that I see him becoming like a real full-time player as, as much as, as fun as he is. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I think we need to manage expectations around him. Yeah. His, his air yards per target last year was outrageously low and, uh, doesn't mean that you can't improve as a second year player, but I think he's got a couple jumps to take. So yeah. Wow. I was just looking at Hollywood Brown, uh, wide receiver 15 right now. Sounds extraordinarily high, but it's a weird year for receiver. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, above him, you got like Michael Pittman. I don't know if he's exactly a locked in wide receiver one. And uh, you got like Waddle, DJ Moore after him. Like, there's a lot of question marks at receiver this year. So, um, yeah, right now, Hollywood Brown, wide receiver 15. Uh, pretty surprising. But, um, I, yeah, I, I can't really argue with it a whole lot at this point. Yeah. And I mean, Holly, especially like on a like per as far as far as his target share in the offense went on the Ravens like he he was commanding targets at an elite rate like he is yeah. I mean he's someone that kind of had a very mediocre start to his career sort sort of dragged even further down by the low passing volume in Baltimore his first couple years yeah. um but I I think on this Arizona offense he he could really hit his stride with Kyler Murray like I yeah. I totally see it yeah. I mean, he gets open deep. Uh, he's got to hang on to the ball. That's been his main problem, but he certainly can get open uh, running down the sideline. So I could see that for sure. But I do think this offense is going to be in a little bit of trouble about Hopkins. So uh, they'll still be good with Kyler, but um, hopefully Hopkins is the same old Hopkins when he comes back after his suspension. So, um, okay. Before we get onto the Rams, any tight end talk here, or are we just kind of waiting a year or two on McBride? I, responsibly, we should be waiting a year or two on Trey McBride. I mean, if you're, if you're a rookie tight end, that wasn't a absolute blue chipper top five, like Kyle Pitts, yeah. then we shouldn't expect anything out of you in your rookie year. Uh, Pat Fryermuth last year was kind of also like an anomaly in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will be interested to hear how McBride is looking. Um, if there are like serious sounding reports of him, like splitting snaps with Zach Ertz, then I'm going to have to stop drafting Zach Ertz, um, who, by the way, I, I think is one of the best redraft tight ends you can get your hands on right now at an ADP of 109 uh, yeah. on this offense that has DeAndre Hopkins out for six weeks and 
that is they're likely going to be throwing the ball. So, yeah. Yeah. People are way down on Ertz. I mean, I'm doing a dynasty startup, I think with you and uh, I know dynasty, like he doesn't have that many years left, but I mean, he was almost free in the dynasty startup and it's like, I'll take a year or two of tight end one production, uh, figure it out after that, you know? So yeah, I, I do think Ertz is really being slept on and I'm not someone who typically likes Ertz either. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I think we write off these older tight ends a couple years too early. Most of the time I, there were like Delaney Walker and Greg Olson are guys that were producing as fantasy tight end ones long after they were being drafted as them. So yeah. that come to mind immediately. So yeah, yep. I, I could see it from him. And Ertz can't do anything after the catch, but whatever. As long as he's getting catches, uh, we're happy from a fantasy perspective. So, um, all right, let's get to the LA Rams. Um, some fun storylines here. Where are you starting with? Uh, I guess we'll start with the backfield. Uh, this really all kind of rests on how Cam Akers looks. I, it was incredible that he came back in the playoffs last year, like an absolute medical miracle that I somehow I think has been understated a little bit. Yeah. Um, be, and the reason for that is it, people didn't like his small sample yards per carry on like 25 touches or whatever against like, playoff defenses against playoff defenses <laughs> six months after he'd torn his Achilles. Yeah. Uh, so I <laughs> not holding that against Cam Akers at all. I, I don't think what he did in the playoffs is representative of his ceiling at all. Uh, but if we, I'll, I'll put it this way. If we start hearing bad things about Cam Akers this off season, he's off my board and undraftable. Because he's go, he's honestly almost a dead zone running back right now. I, I believe his ADP is around the fourth round, like right right next to Ezekiel Elliott at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if he if he's not healthy, then uh, Daryl Henderson rockets up immediately. Yeah, uh, yeah. Acres is at ADP forty five right now, RB eighteen. I am not drafting him. It's partially due to coming off this major injury. Some of it we kind of touched on during the um, our running backs targets uh, earned um, podcast that we did where, you know, I think this dream of the Todd Gurley Rams backfield catching a bunch of passes may be uh, past us for now. I don't, Acres just has not caught a lot of passes so far, and I don't know if that's going to change. So I'm kind of down on Acres, and I'm drafting a ton of Daryl Henderson. I think we're all forgetting that he was an RB1 for a stretch, a good stretch of last year. I mean, we know he's going to get hurt, but – if it's round 12, you're taking them, you can certainly take five weeks RB one production for the five weeks. He's hurt, you know, like that, that makes a lot more sense. The rest of this backfield is not good. Um, Kyron Williams, they drafted, he, he already got hurt. Um, other than that, it's like Jake Funk and Xavier Jones and Raymond Clay. It's not pretty. So, uh, I am drafting Daryl Henderson pretty much every draft I do. And it's not that I think he's going to take off. I just, I, I think there's going to be multiple weeks this year where they need someone other than Akers. Yeah. And I mean, um, kind of the same thesis on Cam Akers as on Michael Thomas. If if you, I, I'm okay with missing out on fourth round Cam Akers if he's going yeah. in the second round two months from now and we feel confident about his health because we've seen him on the field. Like that, that's completely fine with me. I, if, if this is healthy Cam Akers, I think he's totally fine to be drafting in the early rounds at that point. Like I think there is upside there. Yeah. Um, but, but, but the you're right. risk I mean, how, just how, outweighs it right now. Yeah. How much higher is he going to go? Like he's at RB 18. Now, if he looks good, do we really think he's challenging, you know, Leonard Fournette at RB 11 or, I mean, I don't know. I just, I think the upside is bigger for some of those other players. 
Acres we haven't seen really hit that full season production yet. And I, I just, I don't know, coming off an Achilles tear, I, I just not going to want to bet on it. So I know he returned last year, but still, I, I just, I don't see the, the, the round one or round two upside necessarily with Acres. Yeah, fair enough. All right. And then moving on to the wide receivers, uh, I, I didn't really realize this until I was just kind of doing a cursory scan of the Rams depth chart. Um, but if you're one of the people like me, that's not all that confident that Allen Robinson still has it, uh, you should be drafting Van Jefferson in every single draft you do. His ADP on underdog is 138 right now. Yep. Uh, we know that he can have a valuable role in this offense. Um, that the place he's going is kind of what I call the wide receiver dead zone, uh, where you are just out of receivers that you feel confident are going to have roles. But Jefferson has really good contingent upside. I mean, either if Robinson gets hurt or if he just is a if he is the player we saw last year that was getting out targeted by Darnell Mooney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean Jefferson, I don't think was ever billed as a deep threat, but even last year when the receiving core was crowded. Uh, he'd get loose for some long touchdowns from time to time. And that was with, you know, Odell Beckham on the team. I'm, I, like, he's got upside in this offense. It's a good offense. Um, he's going to have spike weeks in a best ball league, even if everyone's healthy. I, I think he's still going to fill in. So, yeah, you're right. If Robinson tanks, uh, it's huge for Jefferson. Then he's competing with, you know, Tutu Atwell, <laughs> Ben Scourneck, those kind of types. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I think there's a huge opportunity for uh, Van Jefferson. He is another player that I've, I've drafted quite a bit lately. Yeah, and I guess we should say on Odell Beckham, the Rams have publicly said that they would love to re-sign him, but they just can't seem to make the money work right now. Um, yeah. So it, it's a possibility. That may also not really be true. That might just be what they're saying publicly when the real reason is we don't think he's going to be healthy at any point <laughs> during this season, so why would we bother? Yeah. Uh, and they're trying to do him a solid for getting signed elsewhere. Um. But it, it's a possibility, definitely. Yeah. I I would be surprised if it happened before the season started. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's where that's where I'm at on Agreed. back on the Rams. Okay, let's get on to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, talk about this backfield. What you're looking for in training camp here? Yes. So the name to watch is Tyrion Davis Price. Uh, he was a third round pick in this past draft. Uh, which, if you remember correctly, was the same amount of draft capital that Trey Sermon had last year. Uh, Trey Ser- last year, Trey Sermon went in like the sixth round of drafts right next to Raheem Mostert. Uh, no one was really sure which of them was going to take the RB1 role. This year, I think we can be pretty confident that Elijah Mitchell is the RB1 for going into week one for the 49ers. But as we know, things can change very quickly in this backfield. And there is absolutely no reason why you should not be drafting Tyrion Davis Price at an underdog ADP of 162.1 when he, number one, is much faster than Trey Sermon, has much more burst, is much better equipped to succeed in the Kyle Shanahan system. And they have the exact same amount of organizational buy-in for Price as they did for Sermon last year. So I, re- I don't know where all the Trey Sermon truthers from a year ago went. Like, wh- why is Tyrion Davis Price not being pumped up right now? It, it actually doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how Sermon has a role at this point. Like, you can't 
draft him where you did last year, he gets beat out by a six round pick and then you draft someone the next year at his same, you know, draft capital. Like it's, it's just terrible news for Sermon. So you almost write him off at this point. And then you're left with, you know, Jeff Wilson and Jamichael Hasty, which neither of them, uh, especially Wilson at this stage of his career, like he's just, he's a veteran presence. Um, he's contributed on special teams, but he's had a lot of injuries. So yeah, I, I think there's nothing there, honestly, uh, behind um, Elijah Mitchell. And I, I, have not focused enough on Davis Price so far, but I need to. I need to start drafting him because, um, yeah, you're going to get weeks where Mitchell goes down and uh, there's a, there's an RB1 that pops up for San Francisco, and I really think it's Davis Price. Yeah, if I if I had to, like, hardcore predict one news headline that is going to cross our screens over the next two months, it is Trey Sermon, odd man out in the 49ers <laughs> backfield. Like, I... I think Price has the inside track to the RB2 role. And at, at least so far, the 49ers beat reporters seem to agree with me. I, I don't know how I don't know how credible 49ers beat reporters are. That yeah. you got you got to be careful with some with some of the beat guys on some of these teams, but I, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't even know what you do with the player like Sermon if you're the 49ers. I mean, a third round pick, second year of his rookie deal, is it even worth cutting him? I mean, it's a cheap contract. I, I don't even know what you do with Trey Sermon at this point. He's not a special teams player. Um, it's a mess. I doubt anyone's going to trade for him. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be clogging the, the end of the roster here for a couple of years, I would say. Yep. And then I guess the last kind of quick comment I want to make about the 49ers is obviously most of the eyes are going to be on their quarterback situation, uh, whether Trey Lance is going to step in and just take this team over as he should. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the roster last I checked, um, which is also a situation to watch. Uh, I, I don't think Trey Lance is probably good for the fantasy prospects of any of these players. I, I don't know that he, that from an offensive production standpoint is going to elevate the offense all that much. And anytime we have these running QBs that, are going to average eight or nine rush attempts per game. It is pulling attempts to other players out of the offense. So yeah. I I would probably, if I would expect Lance to be the starter, and that's not good for the other skill position players. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you could maybe see some big explosive long touchdowns, some spike weeks out of these players, but the week-to-week consistency, I just, yeah, I don't think it's going to be there either. But uh I, I think the running the running game and then the quarterback is where to invest here in San Francisco. So, all right, let's get to our final team. We saved the best for last, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say what the headline could be from training camp, and then you tell me, does it even matter? Um, so the headline could be, uh, hey, Baker Mayfield traded to the Seahawks, new starting quarterback. Uh, does that matter for us for fantasy purposes? Um. It probably makes DK Metcalf draftable yeah. at his current ADP. Like I, I wouldn't mind drafting DK Metcalf with Baker Mayfield there. Um, but I guess the question then is, is that going to increase ADPs from where they're at right now? I think my, my guess would be yes. And yeah. that is still not going to be good. I mean, here's, here's the thing with the Seahawks this year, like, they're, they're not going to win a lot of games. Uh, they're not going to throw the ball a lot. We know this about the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. So where where is the appeal here? Is is it in 
Rashad Penny and Ken Walker being in negative game scripts, not catching passes. Like, I, I just don't understand why we're, why would we would even waste our time, frankly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've been taking a lot of Rashad Penny. Um, He's at ADP 112. You can get him later than that. Sometimes he's just kind of someone to fill out my depth chart. Um, I, I think he's, he could have some spike weeks, but I do agree. If the games they find themselves in negative game scripts, it's going to be bad for these running backs most likely. So um, without Baker, it's going to be really ugly. Baker would help, but um, yeah, I, like I, I think that was a good point. The, the rise in ADP that we see, may kind of offset that i mean dk is still wide receiver 23 um if you throw in baker mayfield maybe he jumps Allen robinson mclaurin jerry judy deontay johnson dj moore i mean he could get up into the you know wide receiver 16 15 range and that feels awfully high for dk and, and that's not even you know we're kind of writing off tyler lockett but uh he's still a good player and could draw some targets so yeah i think if there was just one of these receivers maybe i could talk myself into it more but it's awfully hard to get excited about this offense in Seattle. Yeah, I will just say that DK is a very, very obvious buy in Dynasty yeah. right now. In fact, I need to go out and trade for him in at least one league right now just to put my money where my mouth is on that. Yeah. Um, but whenever you have these extremely talented young receivers that are in perceived bad situations, you you get those guys on your roster because – Situations change very quickly in the NFL, as we saw with Russell all Wilson going to the Broncos. And yeah, and really all across the league. But yeah, yeah. I and but as far as this year for the Seahawks, the only thing I'll say is I kind of like Noah Fant at his ADP of 171.2. That's basically free. We're just throwing darts at tight ends anyway. Uh and I mean, if you get like a Geno Smith in here who's not to say that he's not just going to check down to Noah Fant. Uh I mean we know Drew Lock won't, but if if it's Geno Smith, I I could see Fant having like a okay role for fantasy. No, I agree. I mean he's going so late and tight end it, you don't need as much volume at tight end to make a difference. I mean like you know, you could sneak into the tight end 8 range pretty easily. So I like Fant, a really good athlete. And when, once you get to like Irv Smith at tight end 13, what's the difference between him and Fant down at 21? There's not a huge difference. So I'm on board. If you're just punting tight end, I like Fant as a late round draft pick. Uh, piece together a couple of those. You're probably in pretty good shape. Yeah. And that that's really all I have to say. Um, I, I've already said that I think the answer between Rashad Penny and Ken Walker is neither of them. Uh, that, like I, I just don't see where the game breaking upside comes in. Like the, the, your best case scenario, if you're drafting Ken Walker is that Penny gets hurt again and Walker has the backfield to himself for 22 carries at like 3.5 yards a carry every mm -hmm. game and catches no passes and scores like three touchdowns all year because the team's bad. So I, that I I don't know maybe maybe Ken Walker's gonna absolutely make me eat my words there, but I I just don't see it. No, I, I agree, and he's a good prospect, but I'm not sure he's good enough to uh, overcome everything stacked against him. He's not in the elite level prospect range, I don't think so. Okay, we went through 16 NFC teams. We got back to our typical hour and a half podcast length. I'm glad we're back in uh, mid season form. So uh, we'll bring you another one this week on the AFC. Um, I'll have done most of the research there. So I'll let Ryan uh, take over the reins hosting on that one. Um, so join us for that one. Um, good talking with you all. 
and more more stuff will be coming up here soon because we are ramping up. I know I know all the teams went away um, for the next month here until training camp starts, but now is the time all of us fantasy football nerds have to uh, prep behind the scenes. So there'll be lots of research coming out, and we will be updating you on our podcast as that comes out. So thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining me, Ryan, and uh, y'all have a good day.